Hello and welcome once again to the My Favourite Film podcast with me, your host, Gav Smith. This week I am talking to Sarah Cleaver about the 1995 film To Die For, starring Nicole Kidman and directed by Gus Van Sant. Before I get into that, the usual contact stuff, if you want to contact me here at the podcast, the email address is, as always, myfavouritefilmpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at myfavfilm. And there's now a Facebook discussion group as well, the link for which is in the show notes. Fantastic. Okay, so this week's conversation is with, as I said, Sarah Cleaver, and we're talking about To Die For. So here's my conversation with Sarah. Suzanne would do anything to be famous. She's going to be the next Barbara Walters. I believe that Mr. Gorbachev... You know the man who ran Russia for so long? I believe that he would still be in power today if he'd had that big purple thing taken off his forehead. To be on television. You're not anybody in America unless you're on TV. Was a chance she would die for. You're on. Good evening from the WWEN Weather Center. It's nice to live in a country where life, liberty, and all the rest of it still stand for something. Nicole Kidman is to die for. Hello, Sarah. Hi, how are you? Very good, thank you very much. And yourself? I'm very well, thank you. I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm sure it will calm down as I keep talking. Absolutely, I'm sure it will. (laughs) Um, Do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do in this? big crazy world of ours and then we'll get the film um yeah sure um so I'm a writer and researcher I work kind of across a few different disciplines like few different worlds like fashion culture film um I co-host uh the projections podcast with Mary um which is how how I became introduced to you yes Mary did an epic two-parter on the Joker yeah (laughs) Um, um and uh alongside that I also run a film club called Zodiac Film Club um, we do screenings in well we haven't for a while but we oh. did screenings in London and we'll be doing some um yeah <laughs> okay you're due to start those screens up again now that everything's sort of relaxing we are actually we've got one coming up on Tuesday which I'm ter- I'm really nervous about because it'll be my first one since March 2020 wow um, and it's the first time I'm doing one alone because my partner moved to Italy All so right. I'm a bit nervous that. and then at the end of the month we've got a collaboration with um a film festival in Berlin called the Final Girls Film Festival, which yep. is a horror movie festival, like um, showcasing films by women and non-binary, you know, women and non-binary people. Fantastic. And um, yeah, and so we're just showing a program of horror shorts that are kind of their picks of the best, the best ones from the festival. Good stuff. That sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's talk about this film. So we're going to talk about uh, To Die For, mm-hmm. 1995 film, I think it was, yeah. Um, so why is this your favourite film? Um, well, I suppose, I mean, I'm like a lot of your guests in that obviously I've got different favourite films for different occasions. Yeah. Um, I I just kind of chose this one instinctively. I've I loved it since, I actually, I think it was a V8, uh, video store find when I was a teenager. Right. Just went and got it off the shelf and thought it looked great and it was great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I just, I think about it all the time. I guess I first watched it when I was 15 and now I'm 33. And I I think, you know, I ref, it's always in my top five. Right. Um, I think it kind of, 
it combines a lot of things that are in my kind of film watching wheelhouse. It's like very aesthetically pleasing, almost yeah. to the point that you could think it was, you know, that it was quite superficially good just because it looks so wonderful. Um, it's kind of sort of based on a true crime, which I love all of that in films and yeah. books and things like that. Very interested in that. Nicole Kidman's my favorite actress. I just think she's extra, like she just melts into the parts that yeah. she, yeah. you know, the real film star. You don't really know who she is. She's just this like kind of slightly bonkers chameleon. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, I just, I just think it's, I was watching it again this morning and I just think it's like a perfect film kind of, it doesn't try to be, it's, I, I think I like a lot of cinema of the nineties because it was the last time you could have a film, not try to be everything. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't think there's, it's one of those films that I don't think could really get made today in the same way. I think now if you make films about, you know, true crimes, they have to have like sort of fit in with the like moral landscape of the time. And yeah. this, think is even though you know that you have kind of a lot of judgment of her like fame seeking behavior it feels like quite a non-judgment like you really like her even though she's kind of you know yeah. this like vapid narcissist yeah <laughs> um so yeah I think I just think there's this nice time in the sort of mid-90s where you could sort of just make films that didn't you know they didn't have to be like they didn't have to have kind of a moral function or like to be saying a big thing they were just like these great little movies interesting about, yeah something interesting. yeah so yeah there's loads of reasons that i love it yeah <laughs> you could probably go on could you <laughs> yeah no it, it's, it is a it's a really good film it, it's uh, it was the first time i'd seen it i haven't seen it before in fact i, I don't know it, it completely passed me by as being something that was out there um when oh, you really? consider the cast that are in it i don't know how I, know. I how i missed it but somewhere along the line i just missed this film even existing um but yeah it, it, yeah I think I think like at the time apart from Nicole Kidman and Matt Dillon I yeah. think that even like Joaquin Phoenix was like a character actor yeah. so you know they weren't like superstars like Casey Affleck or the, you know so everyone it was before really before they were famous and yeah. like everyone's really good in it but they're all character actors apart yeah. from really Nicole Kidman yeah so, yeah yeah, yeah. No, I mean um it's because it must be fairly early on, even in Nicole Kidman's career, 95. She's probably done, I think she'd probably done Days of Thunder by 95. So she's, she was there in the sort of public eye as being a, a big star. Uh, but Matt I Dillon. She's probably, she's probably Tom Cruise's girlfriend or wife at the probably, time. Probably, so. yeah. Yeah, um, she probably was, wasn't she at the time? Yeah, yeah. I guess she started around like kind of early 80s or 85. So I think she'd done Dead Calm, yeah, Days of course, Thunder, yes. yeah. um, BMX Bandits, or whatever that <laughs> film um, I think, and she'd done, a, I think she'd done like one or two indie movies in Australia because she's always made really interesting choices. Yes. People always think her like interesting career started with Eyes Wide Shut, but she's always been making like weird off the wall choices. Yeah. Which I mean, this this one definitely fits into that because um, it's. You know, I, when I was watching it, it, it reminded me a lot of um, I Tonya, which obviously is a lot later with that whole multiple narrator thing and doing it almost documentary style. You, you get that's a lot so of true. yeah, yeah. That's actually of, a great double bill, I Tonya and To Die For. It, it probably would be actually, yeah. It would be really because it is actually because you know I think it's definitely inspired by like the actual the feel and look of the film is definitely inspired by like 
probably the Tonya Harding, OJ Simpson, yeah, like um, all of those kinds of like media circus trials of the 90s. Yeah, yeah. So I think definitely like that's really interesting because you've got like one that was made like within the time of all of this. Like, tw- I mean, I think the woman that it's kind of based on, Pamela Smart, um, her I think her trial was the first trial to allow TV like to allow TV cameras in the courtroom. Oh right, okay. So like yeah, that kind. So that's like a really interesting part of the culture. Yeah, definitely. And then you know, Itonia is kind of you know harking back to that story and that era. Yeah. And Tadako is like a product of that era. Yeah. So yeah, that's a really good point. I yeah. haven't thought I haven't put two together, but that's a great double bill. Yeah, probably would be actually. <laughs> I don't do film screenings, but hey. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm going to steal that one. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. Absolutely. Just credit me somewhere on it. <laughs> I will, I will. I'll put you on the poster. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Not your name, just a little like picture of your face. Just a picture of me in the corner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, that'd be nice. <laughs> Look forward to seeing the poster now. <laughs> um, are there, so yeah, I mean, that whole thing of the, the multiple narrators, do you think that adds to the film that you've got all this different storyline coming from people? Definitely, definitely does. I mean... Like, I mean, it makes it unreliable to yeah. a certain extent, um, which I love in a film, like an unreliable narrator. It's yeah. a great another sort of part of my wheelhouse, definitely. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think, I mean, it's partly that the script is so good and it's by, it's weird actually, I didn't realise, but, but the film that I used to say was my favourite film, which I still is still love it, but it's The Graduate. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and I didn't realise until I was like looking into it today that Buck Henry, who wrote this film and it stars as the um, abusive teacher. Yeah. Um, in the film actually wrote this script as well. So I had no idea that those like that linked sort of two of my favorite films. Yeah. Um, but I just, everyone does a really good job of being like this really kind of multifaceted person. Like all the kids are like, they're simultaneously like total numbskulls. Um, but also <laughs> really like really vulnerable. Like when they cry, you know, when they, when, um Lydia is like you know got wearing the wire and yeah she's like but she's also crying and saying I thought we were friends and it's yeah. so heartbreaking is, and the yeah. same with fucking Phoenix. he's saying this like this really creepy stuff about you know like jerking off when like there's a thunderstorm yeah, whenever because, the weather's on you know, <laughs> whenever the weather's on but then you know like when they interview him and he you know says like he's sort of talking about the force of his feelings yeah. for her yeah it's really yeah like they're really kind of and this you know the same with Casey Affleck he just doesn't get um interviewed but you no. you know it's simultaneously like a bully and like an abused kid yeah and yeah. it's the same and yeah like the, everyone is just so brilliant at being like I love I love Suzanne's family because they're clearly like they're playing it like you know a privileged white American family yeah, but they're absolutely. also playing it like they're, they're terrified of her yes they're clearly they're obviously they're obviously really frightened they've always been really frightened yeah. of her yeah and you can see it in their faces when they're being interviewed yeah. and, this, and you know Italian parents who like you know have spoiler but have her killed (laughs) I just think it's just really great because everyone has these like things that they're saying and then these things like behind it you know yeah um and the sister who's like it's just such an amazing actress as well when she she has like the best line it's right at the beginning she says oh you know what what I think of her four letters begins with c and then there's (laughs) goes cold cold I thought she was cold (laughs) 
First impression, in one word, you really want to know? Four letters, begin to stay. Cold. Cold. C-O-L-D. Cold. Yeah, I just yeah, you, you're, it it does it really makes the film because if you had to be just with Nicole Kidman, you would you know you'd stop liking her. Yeah, but yeah. it's you know you like everyone in this film, and you know yeah, it's it's like really fascinating that you have this person telling their own version of their story, and then all these other people, you know, with the way they see things, sometimes they're lying, sometimes they're telling the truth. It's really yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it, I mean it, it works for the film. It certainly makes it. Actually, I think if you were stuck with Nicole Kidman the whole time and it was just her telling her story, there'd have to be a point in it where you, you would really dislike her for the way she yeah. was doing it. Or it would become a, an even more unreliable version of the film because I, I don't think she thinks she did anything wrong. Yeah, I think it. you could definitely, yeah, you could definitely have done it, but it would have, yeah, it would have been a different film. Yeah. It would have been like, it wouldn't have been as funny and no. it would have, it would have been really dark, I think. Yeah. Probably, um, yeah. And then also just, just visually, like you get so much with all of the di- like the sort of different layers of the film. So you have this like talk show, yeah. you have this kind of mockumentary thing, you have police interviews, and you have like the inside of all these people's houses. You've got yeah. the sister's like skating rink and like her hotel room and all of this, you know. Yeah. So I think, yeah, just for like if it was if you were just on Nicole Kidman all the time, like it would get it would get visually boring. Yeah. So I think you can't like and I just when I was watching it I was just every shot is so amazing and you have these kind of intercutting like you have sort of moments of people's inner lives so you have like Joaquin Phoenix is like inside Joaquin Phoenix's mind is just like this video of him and Suzanne having sex like yes. playing over and over again just on a loop yeah. just on a loop and then in Suzanne they have like a sort of view from Suzanne's mind like um towards the end of the film where everyone's like all these people like overlaid with the sound of clapping yeah and you can just hear this like applause all the time and it's so I think that's what makes the film like so kind of screenshotable yes that you just have so much and all of these people are just as important as each other yeah so are there any characters that you kind of I don't know respond to or relate to more than others oh that's a good question Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think (laughs) I mean, yeah, like I said, I think they all are very relatable. Um, even if they're like, even if they, you know, they're behaving stupidly. I think Lydia's a really great character. Yeah. Um, because she's so like malleable and influenceable, you know, like she's a kind of a good person, but she like can be so easily, like by the end of it, she's almost like a mini Suzanne. Yes. You know, yes. she's like, oh, you know, the good thing that came out of this is my TV career. And, you know, so you can sort of see her like on the way to becoming like a new version a of new that. A new Suzanne, yeah. Um, but I think I am, I think like we did, me and Mary did this film for our first series. Right. Uh, we did an episode on narcissists and we did this with Gone Girl. All right. Which okay, are, yeah. like, also quite similar films in that they, like they showed like the point of view of like the kind of fantasy point of view of a narcissist yeah a lot of the time um and so I think there's something about like Nicole Kidman's character that is a, that draws you in in the way that those people draw people in in real life yeah because they're so you know I I, I we know when I was like um uh, my father's a psychologist and when I was nice. um like when I was young, we watched Cape Fear together, the Robert Mitchum version. Yeah, yeah original And I remember yeah. saying, like, Dad, why does why is he like that? Why is he doing all those things? And my dad was like, he's a psychopath. And then 
I was just like hooked on the idea of, of, you know, what that could mean. Yeah. And I think that that's because if you're not, you know, if you're not, you know, there's so many reasons why people like commit crimes, yes. but there is, is there something a bit enviable about not being particularly affected by like other people's view of you or like having poor impulse control or all of these things? Cause you know, like it's, if you're kind of, if you're kind of, you've got this like super ego that like stops you from doing things all the time, or, you know, you're always anxious or you're always worried about how people are seeing you or you're always on your best behavior yeah. and be quite like those characters who are, who are the opposite of you can be quite, you know, can be quite interesting. I can see how you, you can see how people get involved with them in real life. Oh yeah. 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 So you get someone else gets to play out your, like your worst fantasies when you're in this safe space as a good person. Yeah. So maybe maybe Nicole Kidman is like her character is I'm definitely most fascinated by. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. Yeah. So if you if we think about the film, then um, this is a big question, I suppose. What what is it actually about? That is a really big question, and I think it's about different things for different people. Right. No, I think um, because I mean it's based on a it's based on a book, and the book um by Joyce Maynard yes yeah and it's a novel not like so people always say to die for is based on Pamela Smart but it's not like it's you know Pamela Smart was a teacher she had no interest in being famous she did it was there's similarities in um the fact that she the that one of the kids she got to kill her husband wore a wire and that's how she got caught right and also but she did go to prison she's still in prison yeah um and she says that like the media like she felt feels that she was like put on trial by media, right? Um, but yeah. she was demonstrably guilty. So, yeah. um, um, but she's like she's she's made a lot of documentaries and like she's like a writer. She writes poetry and stuff like that. She's um, so maybe potentially she was also quite narcissistic. Yeah, possibly. Um, but I think maybe for Gus Van Sant, it was about I don't know something like it seems to be about something like this upset like this obsession with being like seen or being famous. Yeah. Um, there's actually something at the end where Lydia says if you're on TV all the time like if you're on TV it makes you a better person so if you're on TV all the time you're a good person all the time and I think that's really interesting now because like people are do have a platform all the time they have Instagram and Twitter and they do spend people do spend a lot of it proving how good a person they are so like it is I don't know if that was kind of like if he could sort of see that coming a little yeah. bit I'm not really sure yeah a little bit um, before his time I suppose from that point of view because yeah yeah social media had no impact at all in the 90s really it kicked no, off once it got in the 2000s so yeah but I guess because of like 24-hour news coverage yeah yeah true. people did feel like they had more chance of being famous than or, you know, it was like the start of reality TV as well. You yeah. had like the real world and stuff like that. So I think it was the beginning of people feeling that like the barrier between them and the world of fame, like the, the veil like was thinner. You yes, know? yes. It passed through, passed through. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, I, I mean, I guess that was Joyce Maynard's choice to take this teacher who would who would like convince these kids to kill her husband for yeah. just really for profit, for life insurance and and then to make her into someone that wanted to be on TV. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah to me it's I don't know she seems like a really like she seems like she would be quite a good journalist you know she wants yeah. to you <laughs> like political figures she wants to go to war zones yeah. she wants to cover royal weddings or like you know she yeah. wants to do every you know she doesn't want so yeah I think like there's a kind of you feel like there's a judgment of her character and obviously there is because she's a murderer yes but at the same time like she doesn't just want to be like pretty and on tv she wants to work really hard and yes. do really like dangerous things which what her, so, her, her boss at the the television company says you know she's just sat, she sat over there and she she worked she came up with ideas constantly and they have that whole montage of ideas that she's coming up with and going I want to do this how about we do this yeah. yeah so she she was she wanted to be famous but she was willing to work for that fame and do whatever was necessary there wasn't much to do um, most of the time she just sat over there and, uh, and worked on her file her idea file she had so many ideas this is the presentation on that idea I told you to be going to local movie theaters talking to people coming in to see what they really think an actual um, <clears throat> Vox Populi monitor Here's the number one that children showing issue with me is the hostess and a live piece to her If you could just look it up tonight, you may have lost in the morning. Oh. A couple of pages out of the concept for doing everyday citizens like uh, mailmen, school costume guards, to better inform our citizens on you know, what kind of value services are available today. After a few months, uh, she wore me down and I let her do the evening weather report. Well, what she was fine at, although with all the preparation she put into it, you think she was covering D-Day. <laughs> Yeah, I think there is definitely something to do with like a sort of judgment of like wanting to be famous. But I think partly because I did it with Mary for the narcissism episode. Yeah. I do just see it very much as if, you know, if you have like, I mean, if you have sort of like a personality like that, I just kind of watch for all of the like signs of like the portraits of a narcissist, yeah. you know, like, and I think if you are, if you are like that, then you're really kind of, People always like think of those people as like scheming and manipulative, yeah. but actually it's that like they want to avoid a bad feeling at all costs, whether right. it's like putting it on someone else. So you have that scene where she says to the sister, oh, oh you, you know, you might want to think about taking all those like blemishes off your face if you want to, Yes. you know, and yeah. like the idea and like, it's just, it's kind of like a, just a transference of like unbearable feelings that she can't bear to feel. And yeah. so there's that the, the scene that kind of kills Matt Dillon is when he says, you know, is is your career really going to go anywhere? Perhaps you would be happier like filming bands in the restaurant and putting yeah. them on tape. Yeah. And like, and I just think the, the 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 crime that kind of the thing that he does is that he just makes her feel this like totally unbearable feeling, yeah. and so he has to disappear. Yeah. Because you know she can't she can't so yeah to me it's just about like it's just kind of like a really fascinating portrait of someone who like has just very poor impulse control. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, which I think like prisons are full of, you know, not necessarily evil people, people who just could not, could not not do the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Bad. Yeah. Just couldn't control themselves. So just had to do whatever they did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, because of a feeling usually because of an unbearable feeling. Yeah. So do you look at this film differently now, having done that, um episode with Mary about Narcissus than you did when you sort of first watched it definitely I think that I, th- I think that aside from doing it with Mary I think that I've kind of always thought of the film as like 
I really like the things that kind of can almost fit into the bracket of like trash. Right. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> that are like I, you know, I love true crime. I love like that film feels very feminine to me. Yeah. And I feel like trash is kind of like an innately feminine thing. You know, talk shows, soap operas. Right. Yeah. And, I get know, what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, and the aesthetics of the film are very feminine. Like, I think I always think it's nice for Gus Van Sant's because he has this sort of regular costume designer. Right. Beatrice something. I can't remember what her full name is. And she must have had so much fun on this compared to like elephant or like you know he always does films about people you know um what's the film with um my, my own private idaho you know yes. like she's always yeah. dressed boys in like t-shirts or flannel shirts yes and then yeah. finally she gets to dress like not only nicole kidman but like walter the dog as yes. well you know like, he has that little hat in the final scene yeah. um so i think probably just films just kind of appeal to me on like a aura level if i think right. that they've got if, if I think that they are like about a woman who's like maybe not a great person, you know, like a kind of soap opera character yeah. and it looks really good and there's lots of kind of pink and pastel <laughs> and maybe it involves like a true crime, which is something that people kind of look down on as being yeah. like an exploitative medium. Yeah. Um, then I'm all over it. I just love, <laughs> I love films like that. And I think it's partly just kind of this like bloody minded thing of I'm not, you know, I, I, as soon as the film's like won an Oscar, I don't want to watch it. Yeah, right, fair enough. I just, <laughs> I yeah. just want to watch. I, yeah, I just kind of like my, like to feel like I'm watching something that is like deliberately, deliberately a bit superficial, deliberately yeah. a bit girly. Yeah, th- and, there's no pretense to it, is there? I suppose once films won an Oscar and it's everyone says this is the greatest film ever because of whatever, then you've got those expectations going into it. With something like this, it's yeah. well it's whatever it is, watch it and enjoy it. And you know, it's a good film. Exactly. So I think to an extent it doesn't, it doesn't really have to be about anything because it's just a great story. And sometimes we forget like, that. just like entertainment and a great story is kind of what really makes people go to cinema. Yeah. And like, I think with, with Oscars, they're political, you know, like whatever we want to say about ourselves and how good we are as people is, you know, that film is chosen yeah doesn't mean the films aren't good nope. at all like i i do watch them like after a few years when the buzz has worn off yeah <laughs> but, like, i don't want to feel that kind of worthy feeling at the yeah. cinema i think the cinema is not the place to feel yeah you, you want yeah. you want escapism you want to switch off from your own yeah. life and watch a good story with you know something that you can laugh at something you think about and whatever else just switch off from it yeah yeah and this exactly. film certainly does that yeah, I think it really does. It also leaves you lots of questions as well, which I think is always good from a, a, a film point yeah. of view. Yeah. What are your questions well, about the film? It, it's kind of the, it's, it's, it's what happens next, you know, because they get mm. to that point in the story where she's... Does she actually admit to the murder? I don't think she actually admits to it on her monologue. Um, she, always from her point of view, is convinced, I suppose, that she didn't do anything wrong. She just mm-hmm. persuaded people to do things for her. And then obviously we see her under the ice, which I know is a big spoiler, but I'll say at the start, this it's all spoilers. Um, yeah. So we see her under the ice. And that's kind of it. You then just see the sister skating around on the ice and it, it finishes. So there's kind of, there's a lot open there of, you know, what happens. Yeah, I agree. Because um, you've got kind of this idea that everyone is kind of complicit in this revenge. 
even yeah. the pair even her parents like she's you know they say on the talk show and that was the last time we saw her yeah and it like it's sort of a bit like they they know but they don't they don't you know they're kind of relieved yeah that she's you know because they're yeah like I said they're frightened of her um actually I listened to um there's a really great well it's not on anymore but there was a really great podcast called um Switchblade Sisters right yeah which um was by the film critic April Wolf and she used to um interview a woman in film every episode and the woman used and who you know whether it was an actor director producer yeah used to um a genre film it had to be a genre film so right. horror action to talk about and then they kind of related the film to their own practice right okay um this morning i listened to a to die for old episode right okay um, just to kind of like yeah just to sort of get my mind back in the analytical <laughs> game and um the woman who that. chose it <laughs> yeah <laughs> the woman who chose it uh, was called Gillian wallace horvat i haven't actually seen any of her work um, but she had this really interesting theory, which she didn't really expand on, but I kind of expanded on in my head, which is so like at the end when the um, sisters skating, the song they play is Season of the Witch by Donovan. Yes. Yeah. And when the sisters in the hotel room, um, you can see a TV behind her and it's Bell Book and Candle, the um, Kim Novak film, which is a film where Kim Novak is a witch. Right. And she puts a spell on Jimmy Stewart and like steals him from his fiance. Oh, right. Um, so you've got these kind of two witch things when the sister's there. Right. And she and she just kind of stopped. She was like, I'm not really sure what it means. Does it mean that like Nicole Kidman's a witch? Does it mean that the sister's a witch? But I think that maybe there's like a little conspiracy. So the, the conspiracy theory is what if the sister has like always been incredibly jealous of uh, the Matt Dillon character because he's obviously right. the preferred child. He's yes. the son. It's family yeah and so what if she kind of performed this spell to get not like to get him out of the way and then to get Nicole Kidman out of the way who you know insulted her that time at the barbecue what yeah. if it's all what if all of the events of the film are a spell from the sister because now she's the only she's the only family you know she's the only child yeah. she's a isolating star yeah. and no one stands away and you know finally she can get the like the full attention from her parents and from the world <laughs> Wow, well, that's that's a, an interesting take, certainly on the film, isn't it? It changes it an awful lot. I think if if rewatching it with that in mind would make it a, a very different film. Every time you see the sister on screen, you're going to think differently about what her reasons are for the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, that's. I can't really. T- I can only take credit for like half that theory. Yeah, but <laughs> I thought it was a, it was a juicy theory. I liked it a lot. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it, I am disappointed that she dies in the end because I kind of want to see her her media, you know, her, her career. Yeah, well, um, I, would, I would have liked to see the the media circus around the the trial would have been an interesting yeah. thing because you assume that at that point there would be some sort of trial because I kind of get the impression that the Nicole under the ice bit happens before Joaquin Phoenix's character has been tried for the murder. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, it's, yeah, it is kind of unclear because it seems that she gets off, like when they try and play the recording that Lydia took of her, yeah. the lawyer her off. Yeah. Um, but then the press are like saying like, you know, at this, you know, at the trial, what are you going to, so it seems like she's not quite off the hook. Yeah. And yeah. that's when she kind of spins this story about, you know, like her husband's cocaine addiction. Yes. And, 
Um, but they've got like the picture of her and um, Jimmy in the phone in the photo booth, and yes. it was like evidence of their affair. But then, but like you know, Pamela Smart's um, defense was that she had this affair, and when she tried to break it off, the the boy killed her husband. Right. Um, so presumably, like they're gonna that they would be the same to do something similar. Yeah, yeah. I think it would it would have been a. I don't know if it would be a more interesting end of the film, but it would certainly have cleared up any questions, which I guess may not have made it more interesting because you, you get that clear up. If they'd done the whole media circus around the trial and then what happened at the trial, you haven't got those questions of what could have happened. Which I, I yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. I guess that adds um, to the film that bit. So, And also you wouldn't get to have a cameo by David Cronenberg, which who is the, produ- the producer. That she uh, meets. Yes, yes, of course, yeah, um, yeah. So, um, yeah, like that's worth that's worth <laughs> It's worth it just for that bit, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose yeah. so, yeah. How, how cre- like, so he plays it so creepily, I love it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah just but I think there's a, lot, there's a lot of like mysterious questions in the film, like because you kind of, things cut off before you see, it's actually, even though it's like a film with all of these kind of, all of this like problematic sex because he's like underage. Yes. There's not actually a lot of sex in the... You don't see a lot of sex. It cuts off yeah. before anything kind of happens. Yeah, or you, you see it from... Um, you see, like, Lydia's reaction yeah. to that. You that hear song. a lot more than you see, don't you? Yeah, you hear loads. Yeah. And um, that, so I always think there's a really... That's a really strange bit where she's having a drink with the producer in um, in Florida on her honeymoon. On her honeymoon, yeah. yeah. And he's telling her that... He's telling her that story and yeah. then you don't... You don't know whether she like sleeps with him or not, but no. like kind of assume not because if she had slept with him, maybe she'd have a job. Um, Good point. Yes. yes. Or, or she does and it doesn't lead to anything. And, you know. Yeah. But I think there's like a lot kind of, there's a lot that like implies that she's not as confident as she thinks she is. You know, she like, she takes that letter to the stage, to the TV station, yeah. which is like a, a sort of, mimic of that letter that she heard about in the yeah. story yeah but then she so, it yeah. Up and it in the bin. yeah so it's kind of like i think and then she kind of finds she like directs her sexual power at a teenager yeah. rather than like at like a producer or someone that can get her somewhere yeah so it's kind of like she's yeah she has these like she has this idea of herself as really ruthless which she is but there are things that she's too frightened to do yeah at the same time yeah so yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of like strange unanswered things in the film. Yes, yes, like, definitely. Like, that. like mean, yes, as as there are in a true crime. Yes, that, you know, can't possibly know everything. No, no, and when you've got so many narrators telling you the story as well, and you've no idea which ones, I, I suppose they're all telling their version of the truth, but what the real truth is never really comes out. So, yeah, yeah there's always going to be questions because of that unreliable narrator going on. Yeah. On TV is where we learn about who we really are. Because what's the point of doing anything worthwhile if nobody's watching? And if people are watching, it makes you a better person. See, but sort of um, trying to go through the film sort of scene by scene, but it's actually a very difficult film to go through in that way because it it jumps around in time an awful lot. Yeah. Um, And it tells you things before you see them. Um, I mean, there's a whole thing with with Joaquin Phoenix's character, obviously, that we see him, the first time we see him, he's in prison. 
with the short haircut. So we know that he's somehow involved in the murder because I think at that point, you don't know the film's about murder. There's the, yeah. the title sequence shows a lot of sort of newspaper headlines about there being a murder. But at that point, the murder hasn't happened when you first meet Joaquin Phoenix's character. That's true. It, it does get referred to, I think it does get referred to quite, maybe not a murder, but the fact that he's died does yeah. get referred to early because she says, you know, she has that moment with the tissue. Yes, of course, yeah. yeah. And, and then kind of just snaps back into like, you know, yeah. professional mode. Yeah. Um, I love that opening sequence as well. It's, my fa- it's probably my favourite opening sequence of any film yeah. ever. It I is, just, I, I love that. Yeah, it's beautifully put together. Just all the, the, the shots of newspapers and whatever else and things put together. It's, it okay. really works from a point of view of drawing you into what, what the story could be about and what's going to happen. Yeah, um, and it's got, like, it's got quotes from the script in it. You know, like, this, I, you probably, you know, you've only seen it once, so yeah. you don't, you probably i probably notice it no yeah the newspaper like the things that it says like it has like pull quotes and the pull quotes are things people say in the script oh right okay um, so it's really like it's i don't know it's great i actually did i'm a friend of mine watched this film on my recommendation right uh recently he's like a little bit younger than me and he was he was like it's great it wasn't what i thought it would be and i was like what did you what what surprised you and he was like the Danny Elfman soundtrack just felt yes. a bit like for him, it felt a bit silly, but for me, it feels like it just fits with all of those other kind of creepy nineties things like uh, Batman returns yeah. and um, you know, it, but it does probably is a bit of a, sh- a shock because you don't like have that creepy soundtrack with films like that anymore. You have like a much more, yeah. it's always, it's much more toned down yeah. now. You, you don't have that, but like the film, this film track is like everywhere, you know, like it's really loud yeah. and it's yeah and it's really dramatic yeah but um, i mean at but that, i think it really film its vibe yeah i mean at that time that danny elfman was making just about every movie soundtrack that was going so he was on everything yeah. so it, i suppose the same with me it, it didn't jar me that he was doing it because it was kind of this film fits with the type of things that he would do a soundtrack for you look at things like yeah. Ed, edward scissorhands you know if that's not I know it's got a creepy gothic vibe to it, but it's actually in certain places very bright and very cheerful and in the same way as Nicole Kidman's character is in this, I suppose. So Yeah, I, I kind of he's fits. like a, a daylight horror person, yeah. really. Yes, yeah, that's a good way of saying it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the film does really jump around. It is actually quite hard to synopsize. Yeah. You're right. You 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 know things before you see them. Yeah. And it's it's not really like a who done it. It's like a it that's not really the point no. of the film. It's not even um, a why it's not even a why done it. It's just No. It, it, I don't know. I, I I don't I don't know how you could describe it. Um I guess it's it is a a mock true crime story, but it's it is. It kind of like breaks all all of the rules of anything it's trying to be, because it's not a mockumentary because you have all of these shots that are you know that aren't don't fit into that format exactly at all. yeah yeah um which i'm glad you know which i'm really glad about because that's you know the film looks so good it wouldn't look good if it was trying to look um like a documentary yeah um so yeah it is i feel like it it doesn't have a, a genre no actually. no it probably doesn't actually <laughs> like it's not erotic enough to be an erotic thriller no. and even though it's like even though like the story is you know yes. you think like woman has a affair with schoolboy 
makes him murder her husband you think that's what it is but it's not because you barely see any sex yes and, um and then yeah I don't know I think that's maybe what I like about it as well that it's kind of there's not I mean apart from there are films like it in a way but there's not really another film quite like it. no I mean you, you could have told the story in a, in a very different way they could have done it as a, a straight off drama mm-hmm. where you just have the scenes acted out piece by piece and you go through it in a, a normal format um, yeah. But the the addition of those unreliable narrators, as we've said, um, really brings something to it and changes the whole way you're going to see the film. And it, it, I said the whole thing of seeing people talking about the events before you see the events, and then you kind of see, is it their version of the event? I suppose it's their version of the event at that point, isn't it? So they talk about it a little bit, and then you go into what be from their head, their side of it. Yeah, I think so. Um, because that is so true, actually, because you never really, um, you never really, yeah, you never really know what's happening and what's just in someone's head. I guess yeah. that's why Matt, D- Matt Dillon, obviously, he's because he's the murder victim, is like so absent. Yeah. You never really see anything from his point of view. Um, but I was, there's that bit when they're in, they're on the talk show and the family is saying, you know, I think he kind of brought out a side to her that you wouldn't know is there. Yes. And the sister's a wild side. And then you get this flash of them like having sex against a tree. Yes. And I always, I'm like, did that, do you think that really happened? Or do you think that's just the dad's like, the dad's like fantasy, like the dad's sort of worst nightmare type fantasy that's like coming into it, unbidden into his head. Yeah. I I thought that as well, because when it comes back to him from, it flashes off to the the sex scene and flashes back to him, he's got this sort of, wry almost shocked look on his face that he's kind of looks yeah like he's just had that thought like for the first time that thought's hit his, his brain I don't know so yeah or maybe not for the first time well maybe she does kind of like direct her sexuality at him doesn't, she, doesn't does. she? she goes at her wedding she goes on I still never find a guy like you dad that's it yeah and um like she says it like and, and she um she kind of says yeah she says it in this like very kind of confident way and he kind of goes what like yeah. you know he, it doesn't it doesn't please him or like it doesn't make him happy he just no. is sort of why what that's a you know it's like she's kind of playing this sort of she's got this idea of herself in her in her head as like a daddy's girl yes but actually he's he's absolutely appalled by her so yeah like, it's just something she's made up and then she throws the bouquet and all the bridesmaids like turn their shoulders so it goes past them yes it just um, flies yeah. off into nowhere doesn't it yeah yeah, yeah it's oh every just every detail is so great yeah. of the film it, it is very much like no one likes her at all no. through the whole film apart from men yes like so her sexual partners do yeah, yeah. But even and then and Lydia does Lydia yes. really likes her. but she's also there's like it's in, implied that there's like there's a sexual element there yeah. as well yeah but Lydia really wants to be her though yeah, that's true, actually. It, I think, like, there is a lot of that in those teenagers. Yes. Like, that they want to, like, devour her or something. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yes. like, Joaquin Phoenix says something like that. I can't remember what it is, but... That does um, ring a bell, yeah, that he, he says something about that. I'm oh, he it. says that he... Um, he says that it made him feel like a zombie. He said... He was like, oh, you know those great movies and you think he's going to talk about like a romance yeah. or something like that. He's like, where the dead people come alive and they're just like, they want to eat brains and, you know, they, don't, they can't help themselves because they're dead. Yeah. That's what it felt like. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 
it's such a weird like it's such a weird choice but it's a very yeah. weird choice of film type but uh, you understand what he means he, he feels like he was he was hypnotized by her and that she had a spell over him maybe that old witch thing comes back to that that he he had some yeah. sort of spell over him that made him do what he did yeah 100 yeah, that's really it's a really great analogy yeah but yeah you're right they, they do kind of like there's and there's like a class thing as well yes they're all they're all kind of like so they don't really have anything and their parents don't seem to love them yeah. and like she's just like you know when Casey Affleck is like she's got my look at those long sculpted nails like it's like it was such a weird thing for a teenage boy to say <laughs> but like it's like it's like really this really visceral thing and like yeah you know she kind of and she like does like show off her wealth like when she's like oh, changing yeah. in front of yeah, in the changing room yeah. and it's like can be sexual but it's also like this like commodity like commodity showing off like yeah. she can buy anything yeah. that she wants and, and she buys stuff for Lydia because Lydia doesn't have you know no one ever gave Lydia anything yeah she says that doesn't she yeah yeah, yeah. She, she actually refers to she then refers to Nicholas Carrington saying no one ever bought me anything other than Suzanne yeah who and then yeah. she said I've still got those things and I think doesn't she pick up a dress at one point and brought me this dress and one day I'll, I'll fit into it so yeah which I hope to fit into someday yeah. <laughs> and then her mother goes like in the background yeah. like, like her mother's like in her dressing gown like standing and watching the tv like standing up yeah, um, yeah. oh it's just it's brilliant yeah. um but yeah I think um yeah no one does like the no like none of the family like her no like her family or his family no. And even like he, you know, stop like you know. I think he has to die because he stops being impressed by her and just wants her to be like a good wife. Yeah, just to take over the well, was it film film bands that come into the the restaurant that he's going to take over when his dad leaves it to him, sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because he he is, as you say, he's quite absent from the film. Matt Dillon's character, he's kind of there in. A lot of the start, um, and there's a lot of talk about him, but it's only really his sister that fleshes out his character mm-hmm. as as anything. Um, when Suzanne or Nicole's character is talking about him, it's not really from that point of view. She just idolizes him as as being someone who can get him get her things. Um, yeah. So, do you think that's where the the whole relationships come from? There that that. She saw him as someone who had money and could get her things so she could then move herself into that television role. Yeah, I mean, I think she does definitely use him to, like, she, like, manoeuvres him around. Like, she makes them go to Florida for yeah. their... So she can meet TV people. Yeah. And, but I also think there's something about being, like, she's kind of the winner out of the competition because all of the girls like you know her sister says she could have had anyone yes like, true yes and she um she kind of triumphs without even really trying to she just stands there looking bored yeah and like you know and that's how she kind of gets him because he's like he's not short of attention he's short of someone ignoring him yes and that kind of what she does yeah so i think i think like they do seem to like they she does seem to be very attracted to him in the beginning but then he just be it and she's also she's like she's very like she's very shallow isn't she she yes. complains about him getting fat and like and that you know that makes her really angry and yeah. um so i think that she likes him as like a cool 
like drummer and yeah. motor, with a motorbike. Yeah. But then, but then it's also interesting because she kind of stops. She stops him being a drummer with the motorbike because she gives him that tape and tells him to be something. Yes. And it's almost like she punishes him for becoming the thing that she encouraged him to be. Yeah, because she a little bit. She makes him sell his drums, doesn't she? Because he says she at does, one point, yeah. "I've started. I've sold my drums. I'm doing this now." So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's that great scene where the father they they leave the house to go to some kind of conference or some kind of something, and he's in the car with his dad, and his dad goes, "I think we should get artificial plants for the for the restaurant." And the kid's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And I wonder again if that's a real conversation or if that is like what Suzanne's imagining that they're having the most boring conversation, yeah. <laughs> and you know they haven't got anything interest they haven't got anything to interest her anymore. Yeah, that they're just two boring blokes. Yeah, but again, I say that's that's what she made him become yeah so she took him away from his his rebel side and settle down get yourself a job become a restaurateur or whatever it is yeah at the start when they are on the talk show and the two families are obviously on the talk show there is a mention from um suzanne's dad about um matt and how he's of italian stock and he mentions at that point the whole mafia connection between Mm -hmm. italians and mafia do you think at that point he knows that Matt's dad has basically killed her or got her killed in some way. I kind of like to think so. Right. I like to think so. Um, because, um, again, like when he says, could have been part of the mafia or something, and yeah. then they cut to like, they cut to the di- sort of disused warehouse. Yes. And you hear a scream. And I guess actually at that moment, the camera is on the Italian dad. So maybe that's coming from kind of his mind. It but- could be, yeah. I do like to, like, I do think that the family, they do know, like the Suzanne's family, they do know that she's been murdered. Yeah. And, but they don't care. I, yeah. I do think, you know, it's like, there. it's a bit, you know, I don't think it's like a happy situation for anyone, but <laughs> I think, you know, they are, I don't think anyone on that talk show wishes that she would, like, reappear. I yeah. think they're all quite happy that she's gone. They're quite happy she's and gone. So maybe, Maybe he knows on the level, but like not, you know, people don't let themselves like really know something, but they yeah. know it. Yes. Know? Yes. I get what you mean. Yeah. 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 yeah so. um, and they they get on very well. Like the the two, the like the two families on that talk show, they're very like, um, they're very nice to each other. Like they very are, yeah. kind of polite to each other. Yeah. And you'd think that they wouldn't even be able to be on the same talk show because like, you know, one of, because she murdered their son and yeah. they murdered her. Yeah. <laughs> but, there's, but there's like obviously some weird truce between them where, yes. like, you know, they have, they've made some form of peace because yeah. now both their children are dead. Yeah. So, yeah. I suppose you, you don't know how long after the events that talk show is taking place. Because that, that yeah. could be way off in the future from. I don't know, Joaquin Phoenix's character going into prison and whatever else. Or it could be when the trial would have been happening. Yeah. I mean, you get the impression that um, it's not, it can't be like that long after the trial because there's still media attention. Uh, true, yes, yeah, of so, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's not, you know, people haven't got bored of it yet. So, you know, yeah. these people are on this TV show and Lydia's, you know, going off to LA. Yeah. So there's still... Like it, the story hasn't died down. So presumably, it's just after she's gone missing. Mm. And do you think that tape, that tape, then shows has 
sort of shown somewhere in, in life because she obviously videos herself. Her monologue is that tape, which we're watching as being her main part of the story. But it's then true. She... I think he he must take it, you know, because otherwise people would know what happened. Like David Cronenberg must take the tape <laughs> with him. Or maybe yeah. it's under the eye. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's a found footage. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think... Um, we like, yeah, there's, there's no kind of conceit of like, this is how we put together this film. You know, there's no, no. it's like, this is the style we filmed it in and don't question it. Yeah. Cause obviously we, we watch that tape as she's recording it because we see her get up and switch off the tape. So oh, yeah, that's true. It, it's not ever sure. It's not ever explicit that someone's got that tape and watched it. It's just, that's how we're going through her mind, I suppose. Have you got a, a favourite scene I know we've talked about a lot of the scenes but it's a favourite one I mean yeah every scene is brilliant but my favourite <laughs> moment of the film is when um, the husband leaves for the night and the kid, the kids are going to come over to her house Yeah, and she stands in the middle of the living room and she like stretches and the light changes from day to night yes I'm just I'm actually getting goosebumps just telling you that scene because yeah. I just think it's so brilliant because it's kind of like with the implication I think is that unless someone's watching her or unless she's performing yeah. she's not really doing anything. Yeah. So she is like waiting for her there's a few there's a few bits in the in the film like that where she finishes doing the weather and she goes and sits down in a chair and the lights go off. Yeah. You get the idea that if she's not yeah, if she's not doing a performance for some reason, yeah, then she just she just switches off, stops living, yeah, switches yeah, off, and so you know she has this moment, this time to wait before the next her next performance. Yeah, so yeah. she doesn't she doesn't move. She just stands in the middle of the room, ah, yeah. and I I just love it so much because I mean I just love it as just as a piece of visual cinema. It's I yeah. you know I haven't seen that very much at that like. That I know that shift from day to night does happen, but this yeah. is really crazy. Like yeah. she has, she hasn't moved all day. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't picked up on it like that actually. That that was she's just stood in the same place and it's gone from day to night time, and she's just not been doing anything else. But yeah, it, it fits yeah. in with the rest of the film now, and I sort of think back over the different bits, and it also fits in with, as you said earlier, about what Lydia said about you know if you're on TV, then you must be good. So it, from yeah. her point of view, it's that. If I'm performing, I'm good. And the only time she is herself or is good is when she's performing. And that that's the whole time, I suppose. Exactly. And it's like she can't, it's almost like she can't accept the parts of herself that are bad. So yeah. they they she can't see them, like she can't remember them. They're blocked out. Yeah. So the only kind of hint that you get that like there's something else in there. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah, it's my favorite. What yeah. was your favorite scene? Oh, I think actually it's, it's when Nicole turns into the, the evil Nicole that we haven't seen when she's having the conversation with Lydia. Oh, yeah. And she goes from this being absolute, because she's been through the whole thing, she's been absolute sweetness and light, and you haven't seen anything of her. And then she pulls Lydia aside with tape and has that scream at her about how, you know, she didn't do it. And that's when Lydia's saying about, I thought we were friends and all that type of thing. But I think it was that, that change in, Nicole playing the character that she's just such a change from being sweetness and light to this this real 
real evil in there that we hadn't seen in the rest of the film. But of course, that's, I guess that bit's in Lydia's head. So is that just how Lydia saw it or? I think, yeah, I think definitely. I mean, I'm sure it's how it happened as well. But yes. like, it's it's so crushing. You are really aligned with Lydia in that scene because it is so crushing because yeah. Lydia's so upset and because Nicole's saying everything hor- hurtful that yeah. she can. She yeah. calls lesbian. She also says that she's probably sleeping with Russell, yeah. like having disgusting sex with Russell. And yeah. then she says, um, like, you, I'm like, I'm from a good family. I'm um, a professional. And yeah. you're like, you know, you're all like, you know, rednecks who are having sex with their cousins. <laughs> yeah. or something like that. Something like that, yes. <laughs> um, and it's just like, it's kind of like she takes anything it almost is like it's Lydia's like worst fantasy because yeah. it's like she, anything that Lydia could possibly be ashamed of, like, yeah. you know, like lesbian feelings or like her uh, pro, like promiscuity or yeah. her class or anything like that. And she just says it all in this like tirade. Yeah. And it's so hurtful. It's, it's so, yeah, I still feel like so, it's so sad when Lydia starts it crying. It is, yeah, yeah. But, but it goes back to that, that thing of you were saying that, nobody likes her at all no. so no one likes Suzanne's character as a person in this whole thing um but the people who are telling her story all idolized her in some way including herself which mm-hmm. is why we always see her in the film as being a really nice person until that point because so I think that's the only that's point that point. yeah that Lydia then see, saw her as being something other than this this perfect pink sunshine girl I suppose that is what's so interesting about the character because you don't get that in that time women like really unlikable female characters yeah you know and like it doesn't matter how unlikable she is she's still idolized absolutely yeah you know I think that's the thing like the power of that character it like you can hate her but you know she's still beautiful she's still yeah you know got these amazing outfits she's still you really do idolize her yeah and that's yeah that is what makes her so that is what makes the character so interesting. Yeah. And everyone's, it doesn't like even, I think he says something in Joaquin Phoenix says, you know, I miss Russell. He was my friend. I miss Lydia. She wasn't so bad or something yeah. like that. <laughs> and says, but mostly I miss Suzanne. And yes. like, so she's put him in prison. She's like totally yeah. you know, broken his heart. And he's just like, I think about her all the time. Yeah. Like doesn't, yeah. it doesn't like knowing that she's a bad person doesn't, make him stop feeling the feelings that he felt when he was with her yeah but I don't I think he time. thinks that she was a bad person I don't know I, I think he must have some he must have some concept of because he's he there's that really sad bit where he says um like because she tells him that he beats her that her husband beats her yeah. up and yeah it really, really upsets him yeah and then he goes oh you know for someone so violent he didn't like fight back or yeah, I thought he was really, you know, and it's sort of like it's like dawning on him that maybe it's not true. Yeah. So he's got some idea that she's, you know, that she used him. Yeah. But yeah, it doesn't matter. Like they're in, he's in love, and yeah. that's how he's going to stay, and like he's going to think about her every night in prison <laughs> forever. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> he's probably going to be in there for forever. And um, do you have a, a, a favorite character? I mean, they're all. They're all very good, to be honest. They all. It just has to, just has to be Suzanne, or yeah. maybe the sister. Actually, I do love. This. I love. I love them all. You love, I love them, all. them all. I thought you might. Yeah. <laughs> I was just trying. I was thinking. I was. I'll ask the question, but then thought actually, when I think about the characters in it, that they're all 
pretty good. They're all well acted and they all they all have their moments, I suppose, don't they? Um, how do you think it holds up against films as a, as a sort of a, an old film? Because it is fairly old, I suppose, now. It's what, 95, so it's like 26 years old or something. I think incredibly well. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, again, like I said, I don't know if it can be made today. Um, and I don't know how... I mean, I'm like of a certain generation. Yeah. You know, I got it out of the video shop yeah. after all. <laughs> so... Um, you know, I have a certain like expectation of what films are. And I yeah. know that people younger than me are more um, like I've sometimes I don't know. I don't notice what's wrong in a film until I'm screening it. And I've never screened to die for. But because right. I know that I have like quite a young audience and I see some if I see something like not really very PC in a film, I, I will always be when I'm about to screen it, that I'll give it a rewatch and I'll think, oh, no, like, right. Be really angry about this and so I was kind of trying to look at it with that eye today right and I thought maybe she like she does say a lot of um kind of she does say a lot of kind of racist stuff doesn't she she says yeah yeah um but then again like it doesn't you know she's the film is not like aligning us with her values no 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 so no. it's just part of you know it's just and it's not necessarily, I don't think that she's actually racist. She's just like grasping at ways to feel superior to people. And in the mid nineties as like Anglo-Saxon blonde, like she is, you know, she is treated by society as superior to Jewish people. Like, yeah. you know, cause she says, you know, she's pretty ethnic when you think about it. Like, you know, about the, her, like, she's like, she wouldn't say, she wouldn't use her husband's Jewish surname. No, no. You know, all of that. But like, that's just, you know, it's just, again, because she's a narcissist, she has to keep looking for ways that she's superior to other people. Yeah. She knows, she has like, she idolizes, is it Sarah Paul? No, is it who, the, what, like there's a newsreader that she really idolizes. The she says, I can't remember her name now. She says her a few times, doesn't she? She does. She says her quite a few times, but she says, oh, you know what, but I don't have to struggle like the, with the weight problem like she does. Yes. So, like she can't, yeah. she can't like anyone without having, without, it's like kind of her tragedy. Like she can't, even the people that she really likes, she can't not see flaws in them because like it's only feeling superior to people. It's kind of, yeah, it's sad. Like she, like she's so envious that she just like has to destroy the things that she likes because, you know, like yeah. she can't, they're not feeling superior. Yeah. So she has it's to, sad. Like, all, all the people that she's looked up on television she has to destroy because she wants to be better than they are and be where yeah. they are. Yeah. 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 So she can't really have any like real joy because no. you can't, you know, because everything that she wants, she like, that is like the feature of narcissism. It's like envy. You like, if you like, if you feel like you want something, you have to destroy it. Yeah. And that's really sad. Like, yeah. You know? Yeah. She is. She's very, she's a very sad character, I suppose, isn't she? That she she wants to be famous. She wants to be in the spotlight, but never really makes it the spotlight. I mean, she's TV weather weather girl. At, is it the late night spot as well? It's like the last thing before the the, the station goes off air, and that's that's what she does. It's so like it's also just it's not even likely that she would be that because aren't weather girls meteorologists? But, but, like, yeah, <laughs> like a weather girl, you actually have to know about the weather. I would have thought so. Yeah. <laughs> So it's like it's completely silly that she does the weather, but yeah. like um, I guess maybe someone else gives her the script. But yeah. like maybe, maybe you don't have to be a meteorologist in America to be a weather girl. Maybe that's yeah, just a, maybe. A, maybe that's a British thing. 
<laughs> I don't know. Um, okay, then. It's a tough one, this one. Can you sell the film in 30 seconds? Oh, my God. Can I? <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of how I would do it if we screened it at Zodiac. All right, um, okay. It's probably a good way of doing it, yeah. So I would say, um, I would say Nicole Kidman's best role, morally ambivalent, um, drop-dead aesthetics, um, and... David Cronenberg cameo. That's probably, <laughs> that's probably how I'd sell it. I like that. That's good. Yeah. That's a good sales point, I think. Thank but you. David Cronenberg cameo at the end's got to get somebody in, hasn't it? We always use cameos whenever, like whenever there's one. We're always like Pam Greer cameo, Marilyn Manson cameo. Like, <laughs> it, it, I'm sure it'll work. It's got to get someone in because they go, well, see what he was like in it. Um, is there anything else you'd like to sort of add about the film? Any extra bits you want to talk about? Anything you want to link um, it to? Or... I mean, I could, I think it's unsafe to ask me because I could talk about it absolutely forever. Go for it. I've actually, <laughs> I've actually been um, working on something about a piece of writing about Meg Ryan. All right, okay. Um, which I've got to finish right after this. Um, right. And um, for, it's to go with our screening on Tuesday, which is in the cut, uh, the Jane Campion film right. that ruined Meg career yeah um, and so it's a kind of about Meg Ryan like about what happened to her career yeah and it's weird that like as I'm writing it I'm finding that there are so many crossovers with Nicole Kidman um like that what Nicole Kidman can do in her career Meg Ryan cannot do right. and even though they're so like actually the producers wanted Meg Ryan for this part right um, for, and part of me would love to see that for this film with Meg Ryan because of Meg Ryan's star persona and how incredibly against type it would be. Yeah. Um, but she turned it down because it wasn't enough money and because she didn't, you know, she didn't love the role. Yeah. And then in in the cut, it was supposed to, Nicole Kidman was signed up for the part and she had scheduling conflicts and she had to drop out. Nicole Kidman produced in the cut. Right. And Meg Ryan took over the part because then at that point in her career, she wanted to do more dramatic roles and escape the, um, and escape the like America's sweetheart image. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it went terribly. Like it just, it got terrible reviews. She was really criticized. She had that terrible Parkinson interview. Yeah. Where, yeah. I was just thinking about oh, that because yeah, there was, that was just on TV the other night because they're doing the Parkinson 50 and I, I watched that bit and, Oh really? Yeah, um, there's yeah, probably still be on my player, yeah. But um But yeah, like I think at the moment it is funny that we ended up talking about this at that's the time at the time that I was writing because yeah. like part of what I'm asking is like why can't Meg Ryan be like Nicole Kidman? And it just doesn't seem like she you know, it seems like partly choice because she turned down this role. Yeah. At the time, you know, that could have been the time of her direction change, but she, yeah. you know, the role went to Nicole Kidman who begged for it. Like Nicole Kidman really wanted this yeah. part into that. And I'm glad she got it because she won, you know, Meg Ryan didn't want it and Nicole Kidman did. Yeah. But it is a bit of a tragedy that like 10 years later or less than that, you know, eight years later, Meg Ryan does want what Nicole Kidman is doing yeah. and it doesn't go well for her no. at all. It, it completely goes completely wrong. Yeah. And, and it's too kind of too late for her in a way to change. Yeah, it is. Especially when you consider the, the career that she had before that point. She was, mm. you know, huge film star. Um, but I think the whole thing, the Parkinson interview, 
uh, alluded to at the start was that she didn't want to be a film star. She mm. said that, and that's what leads him on his his little route down whatever else he said. But it was because of that thing of her saying at some point she didn't want to be a film star or didn't like yeah. the, didn't like the the media around being a film star. She liked working and acting. Yeah, she's always said things like that. She even said that she just fell into acting. Like, yeah. you know, she did it in university and then eventually it did better yeah. than, <laughs> than journalism or whatever she was doing. So, mm. um, so yeah, she's always been quite like ambivalent. Whereas Nicole Kidman, you get the impression that there's nothing, like she's, she works all the time. Yeah. She's never not shooting. She's never not promoting. Yeah. She's producing loads and loads of stuff. So she's just like completely, she's a workaholic. Strangely like so, her, her character in this film. Yeah, actually. <laughs> maybe this is the real Nicole Kidman, you know? Like, there's, wow. yeah, like mine. <laughs> <laughs> so she, she's only actually doing something when she's working. Yeah, I think that's very possible. Like, she's really, you know, maybe she does, like, relax sometimes, but, you know, she's, there's always, the, every six months is a new Nicole Kidman thing, whether that's, like, a really long TV show or yeah. film. She's always filming. Yeah. So... Yeah, maybe she doesn't stop, or if she does stop, she just sits, like stares straight ahead while the mm. while the sun goes down. <laughs> <laughs> Image of Nicole Kidman just standing in the house, going, "Yeah, wait, totally waiting agree. for the next thing to happen." <laughs> yeah, waiting for the phone to ring. Yeah, waiting for a script to pop up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it might be happening right now. You never know. It might be. Yeah, strange the links as well between this and um, say Bombshell where she's, you know, bombshells about sexual exploitation in, in TV media and whatever else, and this touches on those same things. That's um, true. Uh, I did think that her character in this could very well have been a young version of her, her character in Bombshell. I know that I know that there's more true story in that as well, but, uh, yeah. I love that, that they're both in the same universe. And yeah. Like, she survives... Yeah, she'd have to have survived, unfortunately. That just doesn't quite work, but yeah, <laughs> it, it could be in a different version of the film. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's about it, to be honest. I think cool. we, could, we could probably wrap it up there, I think. Um, do you want to just say where you could be found on social media or all those different things? And we've got the Jackson podcast you mentioned, but... Um, yeah, so we've got Projections Podcast, which I'm sure Mary has already plugged. She has. Um, <laughs> Um, and then um, I'm just Sarah K. Cleaver on Instagram and Twitter. And But I prefer to be followed on Zodiac Film Club because that's like one of my babies. Okay. Um, uh, or Projections Podcast, Instagram and Twitter. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I've just, I've had a lovely time talking about this film. I'm really, uh, I'm really glad we did it. Yeah, it's been really good, actually. It's It's been nice to talk about, like I say, and, and always nice to see a film that I've never seen before and then talk about yeah. it. So it, it, I'm so it, sad that you had to watch it in such bad quality. I have, <laughs> I have to apologise to anyone who wants now wants to watch the film as well. Apparently, it's unstreamable. Yes, it, it's so. difficult to get a hold of. You might be able to find it on um, Blu-ray or DVD, but they take weeks to get through. But yeah, it is out there. Unless yeah, you're in America, sure. pardon? It's it's on Netflix in America. So oh really? If you've got access to a US streaming of Netflix, yeah. then you'll be all right. Yeah. But, that's more difficult um, to get a hold of. I wonder if they're holding it back for some reason. Um, because sometimes things aren't streamable when they're... Oh, I hope they're not making a remake. That oh. would 
make me so upset. <laughs> but, but as you said, how how would you make a remake of this? Because I mean, I guess you could do it like set today, and it would just be a totally different thing. But it would really ruin the story. Yeah, you know, like it would be a, it's it's so of its time that yeah. make a remake would just and also why make a remake of a great film like yeah. I always think if you're going to make a remake, make a remake of something that like didn't do so well. So like June is a great example. Yes. Um, yes. Or like I would love to do um, Children of the Corn because it's a terrible film, but there's so many good things in there that yeah. could be really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's an awful lot, and it's a really good film. It's a really good story, and yeah, it could be done. Exactly. Yeah. Could be done. Could be done really well. So yeah. don't, but don't feel good to die for because it's perfect. So like, why, why bother? Yeah, there's, there's no point in remaking a perfect film, as I suppose. Yeah, yeah. No. they've tried <laughs> it before many times. Yeah, exactly. Like the only point would be for financial reasons. Well, and like you do have to start getting worried when a film gets to about twenty years old because you wonder if like its copyright contract is coming up and yeah, like that's when the studio starts like you know hiring people to write a script yeah like based on their intellectual property you yeah know? a reimagining of it yeah horrible put it all in social media <laughs> instead of um, whatever else yeah oh it would just it would be terrible it, it would be terrible <laughs> like say um, thanks for coming on it's been lovely to talk to you um thank you for having me that pretty well brings us up today and through your phone call, which I must say wasn't entirely unexpected, since in the last few days a number of interesting offers for my story have been literally pouring in from the networks and some major movie studios. I totally understand why we'll be keeping this meeting confidential until such time as we may come to a mutually beneficial agreement. And I have to admit that I really do enjoy this spy story aspect of our first rendezvous if I may call it that. Because I think that being a good investigative reporter is very much like being a kind of secret agent. I hope you enjoy viewing this document, which I believe could serve as the kind of first draft that you Hollywood people are so richly rewarded for. Well, I guess that's the rest. <laughs> Thank you very much again to Sarah for coming along and having that chat with me about To Die For, a fantastic film. As we said there at the end, it's very difficult to find on streaming platforms. Uh, I believe it is available in the US on Netflix, but in the UK you won't find it anywhere. Uh, you will have to buy it if you want to watch it. Okay, so next time, two weeks' time, it will be the 1st of October, and we are going to start with a few horror films for October. So the first film in October, with our Halloween theme horror episodes will be Dawn of the Dead, the 1978 Dawn of the Dead, by George A. Romero. And I will be talking to Chris Morrissey about that. Here's Chris's trail. Dawn of the Dead is George Romero's epic second chapter about the zombie apocalypse, which started with Night of the Living Dead in 1968. And Dawn of the Dead centers on a group of four people, a woman and three men, who basically are fleeing the zombie-filled city in a news helicopter and they find shelter in a huge shopping mall, which is the perfect place to hide out because they have unlimited food and supplies at their disposal. But of course, nothing goes as planned and all hell breaks loose. And it's just a roller coaster epic film that I think will keep you entertained. 
Thanks very much for that, Chris. That will be in two weeks' time, the 1st of October. Until then, for me, bye-bye for now. Finally, thanks to Acast for hosting the website and to Max Smith for the theme tune composition. To get in touch with the podcast, remember that website is www.myfavoritefilm.com. Thank you.